You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Lord our God, your word is light and life. Shine its light in our hearts, we pray, so that we may live for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today you are going to see an amazing feat. I sound like the sort of person who stands outside a circus uh, big marquee, big top tent, because today you are going to see something that is almost impossible, unbelievable. Today you are going to see a camel go through the eye of a needle. Now, if you're like me, you struggle to get one thread of cotton through an eye of a needle. I struggle for hours. It's uh, sometimes I think this is not worth it. You know, I I have to take the glasses off and I'm holding it up here. I have to close my right eye to see better. And I'm going like this for, you know, a few hours. And eventually I might get a thread of cotton through an eye of a needle. But today you are going to see a camel go through the eye of a needle. Now, this is a familiar story. It may be that you remember this from when you were children in Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a short man. I think that's why Sunday school likes Zacchaeus, because he's short. And most kids in Sunday school are aware that if there's a crowd, they can't see very well. And they need their dad probably to put them on their shoulder. But Zacchaeus was an adult. He was short. He had no dad next to him that we're told of. So how does he see Jesus... In a crowd of people going along the street, he climbs a tree, a sycamore tree, a tree a bit like an oak tree in a place called Jericho near the Jordan River. Uh, There is a sycamore tree in Jericho to this day. I've seen it a few times. The sign says this is the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. The experts tell us that the tree is not 2,000 years old and is almost certainly not that sycamore tree. But a bit like an oak tree, would have had plenty of leaves. Maybe Zacchaeus is up there with other people. Uh, He's perhaps hidden even from view a little bit, but looks through the leaves to see this famous person, Jesus, walk past. It's not a sort of parade that Jesus is in, but rather it's a group of pilgrims, maybe many, many people, who are heading up the hill to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. But even though Zacchaeus is in the tree, he is seen by Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just pass by, but he stops and he calls and beckons to Zacchaeus to come down the tree. And so we just heard in the reading, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. That's rather curious. Hurry and come down? What's, what's the hurry? Well, there's a sense of urgency in that and importance. But what I think is even more striking is, for I must stay at your house. It, it appears that Jesus has never met Zacchaeus before and vice versa. Why does Jesus, he he could say, you know, can I stay at your house? But rather he says, I must stay at your house. 
Now, that little word must occurs a few times in words that Jesus speaks and occurs a few other times as well in the New Testament part of the Bible. And it implies a sort of plan of God, that God somehow has arranged for this and it must happen. Now, it's a bit curious to us, but Jesus is obeying his understanding of God's plan. And so in response, Zacchaeus hurried down. We might think he'd be afraid, nervous, anxious, say, look, somebody else has got a better house than mine, but no. Perhaps Zacchaeus is proud and thinks, wow, this will raise my level of esteem in this local community. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And at the end of the meal, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Well, yes, he's descended from Abraham, as Jewish people are, all Jewish people. But here I think Jesus' meaning is a bit fuller than that, a bit deeper. That is, you're a true son of Abraham because you have faith. So it's a nice little story. Here's a man up a tree. Jesus says, I'm going to stay with you. Yeah, sure, I'll go and get the meal ready. Races down, and Jesus says, you're saved. Very sweet, very simple. But there's a bit more to it than that. They say that you can tell the character of a person by the company they keep. And if that is the case, then Jesus is a fairly dodgy character. Back in chapter 5, he was accused by the religious elite of eating with tax collectors and sinners. In chapter 7, when he did eat in a Pharisee's house, they are the religious sort of supremos of the day, he rebukes them for not providing enough water for him to wash himself on arrival. Quite often in the sandy sort of world of the ancient uh, Near East, uh, he would, um, people would arrive at a house and be offered water to wash their feet and hands because they're dirty, sweaty, and so on. And so he rebukes those hosts. Not very polite, perhaps. In chapter 11, Jesus eats in another Pharisee's house, but this time he himself does not wash. And then in chapter 14, again eating in a Pharisee's house, Jesus rebukes those who seek the places of honour and says, invite the poor instead. Invite the people who cannot reciprocate hospitality. So Jesus, it seems to me, is a dangerous dinner guest. Sometimes you hear people being asked the question, who are the top ten people in history that you would like to invite to dinner together? And it's not uncommon that somebody, even non-Christians, would say, oh, Jesus. Well, I think that's a bit dangerous. He might rebuke you for the meal, for the people who are invited, or the lack of water, or whatever it might be. Well, so too with Zacchaeus now. He has a meal at his house. But the sting here is that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. Now, I need to be careful because it may be that somebody sitting here works for the ATO. Now, my guess is that people who work for the ATO don't mind telling you if you ask. They might be doing a fairly boring job, I suspect. You know, stacking up the money from taxes paid and writing out tax refunds or something, you know, fairly administrative in a way. I mean, you know, we, we don't think much of tax collectors. I, I don't mean that we think down on them. It's just a, a sort of not a special job particularly. I mean, if somebody tells you that they're a, you know, rocket scientist, you think, oh, wow, tax collector? 
Well, so what? You know, it's just one of those office jobs in the CBD. Tax collectors, well, at the risk of offending people, might be sort of fairly dull. So what's the big deal in the New Testament with tax collectors? Well, in the New Testament, tax collectors were seen to be traitors. You see, the Jewish people were under Roman rule. They had been for 90 years at this point, since 63 BC. And the Romans collected taxes, but they used Jewish people to do it. And so, well, not just Jewish people, they used plenty of Jewish people to do it. And so these Jewish tax collectors taking taxes from other Jewish people are regarded as traitors because they're actually feeding the coffers of the Roman Empire, which is oppressing them. What's more, from what we can understand from other historians, is that the tax collectors often would fill their own pockets. So the official tax might be so many shekels, but they might add a little bit on that sort of slips into the pocket as a bit of commission. Zacchaeus, it seems, is rich. He's a chief tax collector, and his words that we'll see in a minute imply that he's probably done that himself. He is an outcast in Jewish society. And so Jesus meeting with him to eat is a badge of honour for him. Seeking the outcast has been the pattern of Jesus' ministry. He doesn't just eat with Pharisees, the important people. He eats with anyone and everyone, including crowds where he feeds them miraculously with loaves and fish. Just in the previous chapter, Jesus told a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And he flips the expectation on its head and in effect praises the tax collector and not the Pharisee, as his listeners probably would have expected. And now here at the end of his public ministry, the last thing really, virtually, before he arrives in Jerusalem to die, is a chief tax collector. And of all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, it's Luke's Gospel that seems to emphasise this even more than the others, that Jesus came for the outcast, the estranged from society, the ostracised, not to the righteous, but to those who need healing and salvation, not just to the religious establishment, but to the down and out. He came for the lost. And since chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, Jesus has been heading to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem to die. And Jericho is the final stop. It's the Passover festival time, one of the three major pilgrimage feasts of Jewish people back in Jesus' day. As you know, Passover is around about March, April in our calendar, of course, because Easter is linked to it in some way. People who lived in the north in Galilee, where Jesus was based, would come down the Jordan Valley and at Jericho they would go up the hill. 25 kilometres as the crow flies, probably a windier route, 40 kilometres is the road now. But you're going from well below sea level, 400 feet below sea level, to 2,500 feet above sea level. It's a steep climb. Uh, I've only ever been in a bus. (laughs) So this is the end of Jesus' ministry, just before arriving in Jerusalem on a donkey, on what we call Palm Sunday, just before he dies on a cross. And this episode with Zacchaeus, to save an outcast, a lost person, 
epitomises all that Jesus is on about, a ministry to lost people. Now, this ministry to Zacchaeus doesn't just sort of, you know, have a happy meal, but rather has a bigger and much more profound effect on this man Zacchaeus. Because here is a greedy, rich man, we assume, a chief tax collector, who suddenly and radically is changed and converted and becomes both honest and generous. It's not often we hear of those radical conversion stories. We heard just before of Sweater and Santosh and the gradual coming to faith for them. And I haven't had time to read the testimonies that are in the booklet for today for others. It may be that somebody has become a Christian quite dramatically. Uh, Just last night I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, I suppose, who's visiting Australia from India, from a college where I used to teach a bit, and he was telling me of his father, about 20 years ago, I guess, was an alcoholic and disappeared from the home and decided that he would walk into the sea in Mumbai and end his life. And as he stood at the water's edge heading towards the water, he heard a voice turn back. And that night he returned to the family home. He never touched alcohol again. He never had physical violence again and gave his life to Christ then and there. Now, that's pretty dramatic. Zacchaeus is a fairly dramatic conversion. It doesn't matter if if our conversion, our coming to faith, was not dramatic. It doesn't matter if, like me and, and others, it's a gradual thing being brought up in church life at some level or other and just growing in our faith. But here is a, a radical change. Jesus at the house with Zacchaeus, it seems, or maybe as they're heading to it, verse 7 speaks of all who saw it began to grumble. Jesus has gone to be the guest of one who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, now maybe with all these people round about, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Now, he may well have said that publicly with the crowds round about. But that's an astonishing change. Simply because Jesus has said, hurry down, I must stay at your house tonight. Here is a man whose life has been turned upside down. From being a fraudulent tax collector, filling his pockets and giving money to the Romans. The money to the Romans might be legal, the pockets isn't. Here is a man not only who says, Jesus, I want to trust in you, or I believe in you, or it's nice to have you in my home. Here is a man whose life changes at its core. From being greedy, he says, now I will give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, it doesn't particularly matter if half of his possessions has come from fraud and deceit. The point is, I'm giving it away. And if I've defrauded anyone, now, this is where English lets us down. The word if is a little bit evasive for us. In the ancient writing here, it's if, as is the case, I have defrauded anyone, I will repay four times. That is, it's a definite if. We could almost say since. Since I have defrauded people, I will pay back four times as much. Now, we need to understand that four times in context. In the Old Testament law, if you were found to be guilty of theft, 
you would repay what, what you stole with 20% extra. If you'd stolen a sheep and killed it, you'd give back two. And if you'd stolen a sheep but it's still alive, you'd give back four. See, here is Zacchaeus not dealing with sheep but more money. Here is he giving back far more than what the Old Testament law says. He's not saying, oh, well, yeah, I know under the law I better give this back. He's, there's no reluctance here. This is a heart that's changed from greed to generosity as it's confronted by Jesus Christ walking past on the road. So his fourfold restitution is well above what Old Testament law for Jewish people would have required. This shows such a dramatic turn in his life. There's no mention in this brief story of him of faith, trust, belief, but it's demonstrated in his words and in his actions in giving back all this money and, what's more, half his possessions to the poor. Now, we must not underestimate the significance of what's happening here. In the previous chapter, in Luke 18, there was a rich young ruler who left his confrontation with Jesus sad because he would not give away his wealth to the poor. His money was his God, as it is for so many, many people in rich and poor societies. That rich man had faltered at giving away all his money and wealth. And Jesus and the disciples commented how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. So what do we see with Zacchaeus, a rich man, giving away half his possessions, fourfold restitution for what he defrauded others, here is a camel going through the eye of a needle. The disciples in chapter 8 with Jesus, 18, the previous chapter with Jesus, uh, commented together about this is impossible for a rich person to be saved. But with, all, but with God, all things are possible. Here is a rich man saved. This is an act of God. This is an act of God's grace to seek out Zacchaeus from a tree and bring salvation to him in his home. He's saved by grace. He's not saved by paying back. Jesus doesn't say, if you give away half your possessions, if you give away four times what you've stolen from others, then you'll be welcome in the kingdom. He doesn't say that. But merely being sought out by Jesus, this man's faith leads to such radical repentance and recompense. Having been saved by grace, Zacchaeus finds something far more valuable than shekels filling his pocket. Repentance often requires making amends. We don't get that in our society. Sorry is a very soft an easy word too often and people's apologies for wrongdoing are often shallow and weak but repentance is demanding and Zacchaeus demonstrates that quite some years ago now a British uh, evangelist uh, was preaching a series of evangelistic talks in Liverpool Cathedral in England on the Ten Commandments I'm not sure if there were 10 weeks or whether he did two or three in one go. I'm not sure. But when he came to the one that says, you shall not steal, he preached about that. 
And over the next two weeks, the outside of the cathedral was inundated with the return of stolen goods. Dozens and dozens of towels from hotels, bedsheets and other sorts of paraphernalia from hotels, stationery, pens, paper and all that from people's offices, wheelchairs, beds, a whole range of things apparently. I don't have the list anymore. It was a mountain of stuff as people repented of their theft. That's what repentance is about. That's what Zacchaeus demonstrates and that's the challenge to us. It's somehow easy to say, oh yes, I believe in Jesus. But does our life match those words? Zacchaeus's did radically and dramatically in this episode with Jesus. And even though it's Zacchaeus who went up the tree to see Jesus walking by, it's Jesus who sought him out and in effect demanded that he come down and welcome him into his home. This is what Jesus does. He seeks and he saves. He takes the initiative. He searches for the lost. He doesn't wait until they come to him. Jesus made that clear, of course, that that he's on about the lost when he gave those famous parables in chapter 15 in this gospel. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, or what we call often the prodigal son. And so here at the climax or ending of his ministry before he arrives in Jerusalem to die, Jesus is on about, as he says himself at the end of this section, for the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. And of course he anticipates here how he will do that most triumphantly because he seeks and saves the lost on the cross of Good Friday outside the walls then of Jerusalem. We're familiar with search and rescue. We're familiar with children who've gone missing, some never found like William Tyrrell, others found like Cleo Smith in Carnarvon in WA last year, and other children who've been found recently lost in different places. But more significantly even than that is that all of humanity is lost spiritually. And God is the one who takes the initiative in Jesus, coming to earth, teaching, miracles, and then, above all, dying and rising from the dead. We cannot save ourselves. Zacchaeus could not save himself. We need a saviour. We need a rescuer. We need somebody to come and find us because we are spiritually lost. But thanks be to God that Jesus sought us and found us and in whatever way dramatically or not we've come to faith and trust in Jesus because God found us we were lost but now are found but how has salvation found you is it cheaply or costly as it was for Zacchaeus what is the demonstration of your faith in repentance and recompense This is a great story of encouragement of salvation to the lost, but at the same time a great challenge. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that when we were lost and far off, you found us and brought us home, bringing us to faith and trust in you. 
But we also pray that our repentance is deep, that our lives are being transformed, that we're becoming more like Jesus in generosity rather than greed. For we ask this for his sake. Amen.